friends, and welcome to season four of The Real Mom Podcast. I am so excited to be at this again, to be interviewing amazing women, moms of every kind, and sharing my conversations with you. I'm so excited about the guests that I have this season, moms from every different perspective and experience, different family types and expertises. I am thrilled to be back at this again with you and to be starting off this season four with one of my favorite guests, the only person that I've had now for a third time on the show, my good friend, Kristen Berry. And we go on and on because we could talk forever about her experience right now in kinship care and our passion for family preservation and supporting parents. We talk about race in our country right now and what it's like to be a transracial adoptive parent and to be coming alongside of her kids. And then we talk about her new book, Securely Attached, which I am so excited to read. And I love just supporting our kids in their attachments. So we just had a great time chatting. I do this for me. I get to sit and talk to these amazing women and then just share the conversations with you. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this, my conversation with my good friend, Kristen Berry. Hey, Kristen, how are you? Hello, I'm doing well. Good. Last time you were on, I think that I said that you were the only person that I had on twice at that point. And now you are the only person I've now had on for a third time. So you, you I know, hold I'm the world record. I'm super excited. <laughs> the first time was just like, hey, that. friend, come on. And since then, yeah. it's been you just write these amazing books and I love them and I want to tell other people about them. And so I keep having you on. Well, I appreciate it. And I was super excited to get the request and I knew you were going to say that. I thought, man, I could be on three (laughs) times. I'm so excited. (laughs) That's great. Okay. So in case anyone missed the first two, can you introduce yourself and your family to the listeners? So I'm Kristen Berry. I write for the Honestly Adoption Company, is formerly known as Confessions of an Adoptive Parent. We have a podcast, a blog, and a foster care training program. Which is amazing. I really botched that up. Yeah, Mike you need to work on your elevator be like, pitch. <laughs> you, he's always like, you can't, you can't say things like that. I'm like, you can read it. My mom likes it. So, and he's like, that's not advertising yourself very well. Well, I so, have uh, advertised honestly- it before. So everyone should know about it because I've <laughs> promoted you. your, yeah, it's such good stuff. I love it. I need to hire you just to like walk <laughs> with me when I go places and be like, she's great. And I'll be oh, like, well, I do that anyway. You don't <laughs> so- need to hire me. I do that anyway, but deal. <laughs> so let's see. We are former foster parents, adoptive parents of eight, and we are currently. So our six, well, it really shouldn't be our six youngest at home, but COVID. So we are currently in this strange place of having two daughters who are freshmen in college. One is doing, she's on campus this year, doing kind of a half virtual, half in class. And then our other daughter is doing her musical theater program in our dining room. So that's been a whole weird we were launching them, but then like sort of not launching oh, them. So and she was supposed to be near me. Home. She was coming to Philly, wasn't she? Yes. Yes. And, and you were one of the reasons that I said, okay. I was like, okay, oh. fine. Like you met my friend Jamie once. It'll be fine. So if you have an emergency, <laughs> we're just going to call her. <laughs> exactly. I would so, be on call, but. She's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I remember her. It's Okay. <laughs> It's so I've seen so, the pictures of her like doing ballet in your oh you guys are yes know, doing we put your a, best but it's so sad. <laughs> Our dining room now has a ballet bar and mirrors. It's super cute. <laughs> so it's been a weird thing. But so we have our six youngest. We have two grown children, a six younger, so nineteen and younger, and then we have temporary guardianship of our niece right now. So we're kinship placement as well. Okay, so how many in your home right now? six at home right now. Six. Okay. All right. All right. So hold on. I want to talk for a second about just this kinship, temporary guardianship piece for anyone who either has stepped into that and can use some words from you or wouldn't even know what that is. Speak to that a little bit. 
Yeah. So a kinship placement can be through the foster care system. It can just be that informal arrangement that families make with one another. So kin, referring to family, it can also be in our case, it's temporary guardianship. So we have legal temporary guardianship. And a lot of families do that just to fill in the gap. That's going to be grandparents raising grandchildren, aunts and uncles, raising nieces and nephews. And that can really look like basically anything depending on the circumstance. So for us, that just means we have the ability to take her to the doctor, to register her for school, to travel out of state together. And so, yeah, that's just, I think for a lot of kinship families, it can be a way to avoid the foster care system when that kind of becomes a potential when foster care may need to intervene just to give that family member a chance to do whatever needs to happen to make home a safe and secure place for the child. All right. So what does it look like for you or how can someone who's in this position walk the line that all foster parents walk of you are here, you are home, we are your people, but also maintaining relationship and respect and all that for the other parent in the situation. Yeah, I think that, you know, that becomes trickier because you have the balance of whatever your relationship is as a family. So if this is your sister, your daughter, your brother, and then, you know, this child is your niece, your grandchild slash child. Gosh, that is, it is a tricky situation. And so I think that the best thing that we can do as foster and adoptive parents, as kinship caregivers is to really always defer to mom and dad, always assume the best in mom and dad, and always remember that when you have that interaction with mom and dad, whatever is going on, whatever has caused this to be the needed situation, to, to back off and let mom and dad be the person in that moment. So let's say it's Hmm. a birthday party. You may have arranged the birthday party. You may have bought the gifts. You may have made it all work out. But on the day of that birthday party, you just go ahead and take a step back. Let mom and dad be mom and dad in that moment, knowing that our kids always want their parents. And, you know, and honestly, that that goes for those of us who are foster and adoptive parents who maybe adopted a child at age one or two, sometimes when biological mom walks in, even if you know, it's the graduation party, you know, let biological mom be mom. Yeah. Let her have it. Let your child decide what they want to have happen in that situation. The second thing that I would add is depending on the age of the child too, it's important to talk about those things before they happen, knowing that Mm. this is a fine line, knowing that anytime we have a child placed in our home, that we're giving care 24 hours a day. So that means we're the ones tucking them in bed at night. We're the ones talking about the loss and the joy and the hopes and reading stories together and laughing and having fun. So we're having all of that time together and that this situation, however, this transition happens, let's say it is that birthday party talk about it ahead of time. Talk with your child. Hey, mom and dad are coming to your birthday party tomorrow. I'm really excited. I know you might be excited and nervous. Do you want to talk about how you're feeling? Getting our kids prepared to kind of walk that fine line or balance out those relationships too. Yeah, That's a huge part of our job because as much as we're feeling like, where do I stand here? You know, I'm, I'm the caregiver right now, but I'm not mom our child is feeling the same way too. And the child is kind of walking that fine line. I'm super excited to see mom, but I know she might have to leave after the birthday party. And which mom am I looking to for these things? I mean, the awkwardness that we feel, that's what I'm always encouraging people like, take how you feel, the awkwardness, the uncertainty, the, and then multiply that as you consider the other mother. And as you consider your child, like we are the most equipped to come in this ready to handle this the right way. How can we help them as they struggle through it as well? Absolutely. And I think a lot of that is just saying it out loud. Sometimes when things are awkward, it's really good just to get it out in the open. So good. Yeah. So and you're that's like your MO, right? You're like, hey, I'm I'm always gonna be awkward. (laughs) Just damn awkward. (laughs) 
You know what? If you already know that you're awkward, it's much easier to embrace it. Exactly. But no defensiveness, just be. Right? It's like, well, I really messed that up. Let's try again. And yeah. I think that could be anything from, you know, let's say that the child wants a cookie. And normally you you answer the question, right? Because you're with the kid 24 hours a day. You're like, no, you can't have a cookie. You haven't had dinner. And so when you're sharing that responsibility, you might pipe up and say, no, you can't have a cookie. And then you realize, oh, no, mom is six feet away. Mom yeah. should probably decide. Yeah. If you catch yourself doing that, go ahead and say, I'm sorry. What do you think? Kristen, Would that it be is okay so for her to have a good. cookie? That is so good. I love that because I think we go into it like a, how do I make this as perfect as possible for everyone involved? And the reality is it's broken. It's messy. There's no rule book. And so the more we just come into it with that and admit it and just kind of laugh it off, the less we have to be like, oh no, did I do the right thing? Did I do? And then it makes them feel the kids and the other parents oh, I don't have to have my act together either. This is a little messy for everyone. I love that. That's such good advice. Thank you. I think it goes for all sides too, because if we can admit that we're not quite sure how to do this, that frees the child up to say something exactly. like, oh, shoot, you know, Aunt Kristen, can I have a cookie? Wait, my mom is here. Hey, right, mom, right. can I have a cookie? Right. So That's good. all right. We're not all freaking out. Everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we just had my foster daughter's mom join us for Halloween and we had had a birthday party with her before. And so my husband said to me, he processes out loud, like, okay, so this is going to be like the birthday party where it's really about her connecting with her and not about us connecting with her. And I'm like, yeah, that's, and he's like, okay, yep. I think that's good for both of them. And then same thing processing out loud. He's kind of like, all right, let's do this. Let's do that. As we're trick-or-treating. And I was like, Hey babe. And he's like, oh yeah. Okay. And it's kind of this, like, I'm going to take <laughs> off this cloak of the responsibility of parenthood for a little bit and put it on someone else and stand back and also maybe be ready for when the moments aren't as fun, <laughs> aren't as where it's like, yeah, oh, she's not sure how to handle this. And we are the ones who handle this all day, every day. And so this is now getting a little stickier. And now I can jump yeah. in, you know, leave the fun stuff to her, give her lollipops every five minutes and walk with her up to the right. house. But when she sits down in the middle of the sidewalk and refuses to keep walking, oh, that's my cue. <laughs> and just kind of like, yeah. Oh, babe. And you know what I hear from a lot of people too? I hear that kind of pushback like, well, why does, why does mom get all the fun stuff? Why does yeah. dad get all the fun stuff? And I have to step in and get the child off the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that we have to remember as long-term caregivers, whether that's, you know, kinship, adoption, foster care, we get the kids all the time. Mm -hmm. So if I have to step in and, and discipline in a situation that, you know, should have been fun, like trick-or-treating. If I have to step in and do that, that kind of stinks because I'm like, well, shoot, like I want to go trick-or-treating. I want to take all the pictures. I want to have, you know, give right. them too many suckers and have fun. Then I have to kind of reverse that and say, when I go backstage, when I take myself out of the spotlight, when I take the hard parts of say trick-or-treating or a birthday party or something like that, the payoff, I, I don't know. I don't want to really say payoff. That sounds like I'm Anyway, maybe that's not the right word to use later on. Yeah. Mom and dad go home. Yeah. I'm tucking the child into bed at night. I get that. Hmm. And that is equally as beautiful as trick-or-treating. Sure. Sure, More sure. beautiful than trick-or-treating. And so I find that I do feel resentful sometimes. And I know a lot of people feel resentful sometimes when we have to pick up kind of the messy part instead of getting the joy of right. the trick-or-treating, the joy of giving all the presents. But I think if we can shift our perspective a little, then we can see this joy that is in that every day, that fixing a bowl of cereal, that drying tears, that tucking so in good. bed at night, praying together. So good. So you just admitted that you can feel resentful. I can as well. And I think that's a question I get often of like, yeah, I know this is easy for you to love your kid's mom and and it's not easy. And I have spent a good amount of time trying to share with people how I've gotten there, how God has changed my heart and brought conviction and really shaped a new way of thinking. Take me on the journey a little bit of you 
possibly starting off from a place where I started off with of like, you screwed up, you can't take care of your kids, you don't get the fun stuff to now having a completely different position. What was that journey for you? How did you get to the place where now you can say that and feel that? I think that for me, it started with this false black and white thinking. There's right and there's wrong. And Mm -hmm. so I have to be on one side or the other. And I choose to be on the right side, which must mean mom and dad are on the wrong side. Mm. And I think even as as people of faith, we can trick ourselves into that type of thinking. I must know all the right answers all the time. Mm. And there's a good and there's a bad, there's a light and there's a darkness. I think that that type of thinking then leads us to put the other person in the box you've done the wrong thing and that's the way it is. And that's why I have to be a foster parent right now. That's why I'm in the role that I'm in. So, you know, for me, that shift, I think happened the more that I realized that I cannot be the perfect parent. So if I'm not all good, then mom and dad are not all bad. Um, And so you start to meet in the middle, I think, and you start to realize for every good and positive thing that I do as a parent, I had to make a lot of mistakes to get there. And I had to do a lot of learning to get there. I had to have a lot of support for every harmful thing that maybe the biological family has done. There was a lack of support. There was a lack of education. And, and that's, so that's even to- not, not addressing the foundation of trauma and a lack of trauma. So even just that starting Abs- place. Yes. Yes. So when you see this continuum of good and bad, healthy and harmful, and you begin to see that we're all somewhere along that Hmm. line, Hmm. then you can begin to give yourself grace for the places that you mess up. You can begin to give your child's parents grace for the ways that they mess up. It's also opens you up to see then the goodness within what happens in that situation. So for instance, let's say, you know, I'm about to lose my cool trick or treating with, you know, mom and dad, biological mom and dad, adoptive mom and dad, tons of kids, maybe an extra family member. Maybe I'm about to lose my cool here because this kid is plopped down on the sidewalk, you know, refusing to get up, had too many suckers. And I'm like, man, I'm going to lose my mind here. And then mom comes in and kneels down beside the child and says, hey, it's okay. Sometimes mm-hmm. I get overwhelmed too. And I think, uh-oh, how did she know what to do right there? And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and I begin to, I think we then begin to move along that continuum. We begin to to see that that line between the good and the bad and that darkness and light, black and white type of thinking where we can then say, wow, you really made her laugh right there. You know, you really share this artistic part of her personality. You really share this funny sense of humor. And so we begin to blend those things together. So I think there's, maybe this is within humanity. Maybe this is because of my faith background, but that idea that we need to put everything in a box, it doesn't have to be that way. And we can all just get out of the box And start working together on things. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, we're all out of that box anyway. We all, everything is grace. So where we are is grace. And so for us to stand in grace and kind of go, well, why aren't you here? And not be willing to extend what we have experienced is just hypocrisy and not really understanding what grace is. Because if it's a gift that we got, then it's a gift that we should give. Absolutely. And I think, too, then you have to think about, you know, as you begin to move away from that good and bad type thinking, you have a child in the center of that who looks like, who carries the DNA, the history, the identity of that other family. And so when you have that child in the center and you begin to look at other humans with grace, you actually give the child this gift of being able to see their parents through the lens of grace, being able to see Mm. us through the lens of grace. Sure. We need Um, it too. Yeah. And I know that for my kids, one thing they've shared is they've gotten older. What I've heard a lot of other adult adoptees say too, is this feeling like I have to be perfect. I have to be worthy 
of my adoptive parents' love. I have mm. to be worthy of my biological parents' love. And if, if our kids can begin to see us extend grace to their so parents. Good. That they don't have they to feel do like that they're too. earning something from us. We don't put their parents yeah. in a position of earning. Then we don't put them in the position of earning. Exactly. Exactly. That's so good. And I love, I mean, one way that you've really served me is your kids are all older than my kids. And so to be able to see a few steps ahead, the things that your adopted children have walked through and, and wrestled through and all of that, I think another thing that I can see from foster and adoptive parents is this idea of like, well, I want to protect them and preserve this like exposing them to these people. And and if I can just sort of eliminate this idea from their minds and their hearts and their lives, then it won't actually be a thing. And the benefit of me having people like you and other friends is seeing, oh, that's an illusion that we create, that we can kind of like inch them out. This is going to be important to our kids. And so we can jump on the train before it becomes this huge thing that they're pushing for and doing without us and separated from us in pursuing relationships. We can come alongside and be a part of it from the beginning and make it a really healthy and happy family experience. Yeah, I think we just actually on our podcast interviewed Galen Elmore. Oh, everybody who's listening now, I've probably watched his last name. Don't worry. It'll be in the show notes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. That sounds good. He is a former NFL football player, former foster child, and is now an adult. And he speaks a lot about adversity. And one of the things that he was saying is just that we don't avoid that. We all face adversity. So this idea that adoptive parents would step in and then create this perfect life or feel pressured to create this perfect life or feel pressured to create an environment where our kids can avoid adversity. I know Hmm. I felt that way. The parts of my kids' stories that I think, oh gosh, that's going to hurt. I don't want them to feel hurt. We're all going to face adversity. That's literally we can't get out of life without that. So our kids are going to face that. And so when we can accept that that is a thing that's going to happen, they are going to feel a loss when they learn a part of their story that's hard. They are going to feel a loss when they learn a part of their story that's beautiful. And then they realize, oh no, I didn't grow up with that side of my family. Hmm. That's adversity no matter what. So when we can accept that that's a part of their story, we can actually take this different position with our kids. And that's one of just support where we acknowledge that that was really hard. I'm really sorry that that didn't turn out the way that you hoped it would. I'm really sorry that didn't turn out the way I hoped it would. Or, wow, that was amazing. I can't believe you connected so well with all these beautiful people in your family. I'm so sorry that you didn't get to grow up with them. I know Mm -hmm. that's really hard. It's this different position of listening, growing, supporting, encouraging our children rather than trying to mold their story into something that it's not. Hmm. That's so good. All right. So as you're talking, and honestly, I came even just with this idea before we talked, I have seen a little bit of a shift on social media from you And I would say, you know, you are the parent of Black children. And I have known, obviously, forever that you love your children deeply, that you're passionate about justice and anti-racism. But I've definitely seen a stronger focus from you in that, as I think we all, well, not we all, as I think many of us have felt this, Yeah. oh my goodness, it's almost like I was asleep to what was going on around me. And so- Can you talk a little bit as we're talking about adversity and justice and the different things our kids go through, what that shift has been like for you just as a Christian, as a white woman, as a parent of black children, address that a little bit. I think that I'm ashamed for spending, you know, probably the first 38 years of my life, not even trying to understand American history, not really understanding perspectives of other people, particularly people of color. We saw things happen with our kids and 
I think, you know, whether that was a disproportionate amount of trips to the principal's office, the assumption that my children had done something wrong, even though they are literally delightful, Mm. (laughs) helpful, smart, neat, quiet, funny, beautiful kids. So I'm not saying that we allowed that to go on. We were constantly you know, at the school saying, I'm sorry, what happened here? My kids can tell you all about how many times I've embarrassed them by going (laughs) after someone. But I didn't realize the grand scale of oppression in our country, Mm -hmm. the roots of racism that have existed in our country since the beginning, since colonists first arrived. All that to say, as my girls entered high school, we found a great school for them to go to that was much more diverse, 52% black. And then what is that? 48% white and other races. So for them, they began to not be the only black kid in school. Sure. That school was very social justice minded, creative, curious. That's Anyway, it was a really, really good experience for our girls. And so because of that, that started a lot of different conversations around our dinner table where our girls were really beginning to speak up and say, this is something I've experienced my whole life. And I Hmm. didn't realize that, Hmm. you know, did you know, did you know black people didn't even have the right to vote? Did you know women didn't even have the right to vote? You know, and I guess in our family, that realization started around our dinner table with conversations like, do you know when women got the right to vote? And I'm like, no, I don't, you know? And so thankfully, Google, you know, we all started to sit around and ask these questions. Well, when were women allowed to vote? Oh my gosh, did you know that? And so that led to, in our family, just digging deeper and deeper and starting to ask ourselves questions like, why are all the authors on our bookshelf white? You know, I just honestly thought, oh, well, maybe there just aren't as many Black authors. There are, Mm. you know, they're, they're out there. There's all kinds of different perspectives we can read and learn about. So the shift in our social media, again, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that it is a sense of urgency as Mike and I have realized, wow, we're 40-some years behind the action we should have been taking all along. And we've now just launched our daughters into a world that is not welcoming them. Mm. And that prompted us to a big push in our family right now. Something we're really talking about is relearning how our government works. I wasn't paying attention in government. I took it my senior year of high school. (laughs) I just wanted to graduate. I think I took a nap. I was like, I was in high school before people had phones and things. You know, I was probably like writing notes to my boyfriend to slip them in his locker or something. I I was not the more important things than how the government works. (laughs) I mean, I was 18. But I think, you know, so it is this scramble of wait a second, how do we elect a president? Wait a second, who are the elected officials in my little town in rural Indiana? And this realization that we can actually call them on the phone and talk to them about things. We can actually (laughs) write them letters. Um, We can ask them to represent us well. So that's been where we're going with that. But definitely this sense of urgency that I just sent my 18 and 19-year-old out into a world where they won't Mm -hmm. always be assumed to be good and beautiful and Mm. women of integrity, which is what I know them to be. All right, friends, I'm interrupting our conversation to ask you to do me a favor. And really, it's not a favor for me. It's a favor for our future listeners. Pause this episode and revisit your podcast app. There you can rate and review this show. Now, this isn't about me getting happy words from you. This is about other people being able to find this other biological foster and adoptive moms who can learn from our guests. So if you could do that quickly, that will help those moms to be able to find us. This episode is brought to you by Goods and Better, goods and gear on a mission. Goodsandbetterstore.com is where you can find shirts, prints, jewelry, and other goods that are specific to the journey of foster care and adoption. And major bonus, every purchase benefits a child entering foster care. Through Goods and Better's Buy It Forward program, 
you get to choose your impact and allocate where you want your donation to benefit. Whether it's luggage for a child entering foster care or baby essentials for a brand new baby, you get to choose where your money goes. Visit goodsandbetterstore.com to look through the array of designs that are made just for you with the mission of providing essentials for children entering foster care. Visit goodsandbetterstore.com and use code REALMOM to save 10% on your entire order. That's goodsandbetterstore.com, code REALMOM. Yeah, I have a friend who is a few years older than your daughters. And she, we were talking about this and she was saying, she's an adoptee into a white family. And she was saying that she didn't realize how much she was sort of protected by the cloak of white privilege. <laughs> as an adoptee into a white family. So she wasn't that black girl. She was this member of this family. Yes. And everywhere she went, there was that belonging that she had, even if she felt other in some ways, it yes. was this acceptance and this assumption of, like you just said, goodness and belonging right. and all of that. That now she's like, oh, I'm going to places by myself for the first time. I'm going to places yes. where they don't know me as this family member. They know me as this new black girl that I just met. And she is now, as an adult, like you're saying about your daughters, wrestling with these things for the first time in her life, really. Yes. And I think that's what we're hearing from a lot of adult adoptees. And that has really you know, we can't go back and change the first 18 and 19 years with our daughters. I'm yeah. thankful that they got to experience high school in a different way. But it is that realization that they were walking into that high school without mom and dad, that it wasn't the Barry's kid. Oh, it's fine. It's the Barry's kid. They're nice people. Right, right, right. That what the teachers, administrators were seeing are two black girls. And that should not be an assumption of guilt, I guess, you know, there, even in that high school, some of those things like my daughter was written up for uniform violations a million times. And I would say like, wait for what? My one daughter is super skinny and she was wearing a turtleneck under her polo. So this is not a uniform violation where my daughter has like hiked her plaid skirt up so we can see her butt cheeks. <laughs> right. She's wearing a turtleneck and she's written up for this, you know, and I'm driving oh onto the my. campus and I'm like, but I see all these white girls in, you know, fishnet tights. And I think still, even then I used to think, fine, then I'll go talk to the Dean myself. And that works when your kids are little, but if you're not preparing them to handle that on their own, you're really doing a disservice. And so that's a big part of what we want to shift in how we do things with honestly adoption, opening up to making sure that every side of the triad is able to speak up on our platform. We're still a parent to parent platform. So sure. our audience are parents and we're wanting everything we do, whether that's a book, a podcast, a blog that you read, even our social media we want that to sound like how it would sound if you and I were sitting down yeah. to have a cup of coffee, the mom yeah. to mom, you know, yeah. I just want to talk to you. My kid got in trouble again for a uniform violation. And I'm pretty sure it's because she's black. What do I do? That's mm -hmm. going to be the mom to mom conversation, but I cannot teach parents what it's like to feel how it feels to be inside of my daughter's body and know that her, her parents are white, but she's a black woman that's where my daughter needs to have that space. And so while our platform is still parent to parent, we've really shifted quite a bit to including those voices. So now it is adoptee to parent. Hey, parents, here's what I want you to know about what it's like to be me. Biological parents, birth parents to adoptive yes, parents. Hey, right. adoptive parents, I want you to know what it's like to be on my side of the triad. Yeah, I just saw something that an adoptee post on Instagram that it was something about the bravest thing that an adoptive parent can say is to an adoptee, an adult adoptee, please help me. And I think, 
you and I have learned by getting to know and listening, you're parenting now adoptees. And I really see it as a responsibility that we have as people who listen to us. Okay. You listen Mm -hmm. to me. I talk about my life. Yeah. This is what it's like to be a foster mom. This is what, but there are these pieces that I know you're still listening to me, but I don't know how to speak to these pieces and you need to hear them. And so I'm going to pass the mic to someone else. Yes who can speak to this better than I can, because we all need to learn this. Yeah. And I I think that's been a huge question. Even as we just wrote our most recent book, I would say that Mike and I wrestled for months. It was actually the publisher came up with the idea and Mike said, oh yeah, that sounds great. That's, That's something we could write about. And I was saying, no, I'm done writing about parenting. I'm, I'm, tired. I don't want to write about parenting anymore. All I'm hearing from adult adoptees is, hey, parents, be quiet. And so then we had to really wrestle with, then where is our place in the conversation? And I think where our place in the conversation is, we're still parents cheering on parents. So how can we continue to be that voice within the parenting community while also amplifying the voices of others? And that's really saying, hey, you know what? you're a great mom. You're doing a great job. Listen to my friend. So, and so she's an adult adoptee. She's got some great words that I think you could learn from. I don't need to tell you how my friend who's an adult adoptee is feeling. I can point you her direction, but it doesn't mean that we stop being a part of the parenting community. So that's something that Mike and I have really wrestled with over the last year. Do we stay in the conversation Hmm. or can we stay in the conversation and move over and welcome other people in. So good. And I think you guys have done that really well. And it's a, a question that I'm wrestling through as well and seeking to, to follow your example. So, all right, you mentioned your book. I want to talk about your book. Unfortunately, I haven't read it yet, but I love learning from you guys. I've learned from you for years and I've learned from you on this topic for years. So your new book is called Securely Attached and man, I talk about attachment all the time. We talk about it as a couple all the time. It's a huge topic. Give me like your attachment 101, one minute intro of what it is and why it's crucial. Yeah. Okay. So we wrote the book because attachment is really the foundation of everything else that happens in life. So if you think about a newborn child, what happens? They're born. They're placed on their mother's chest. They hear their mother's voice. Dad is maybe there too. And mom feeds the child. So the child is brand new to this world and is being cared for by mom, being fed by mom. Maybe I'm bottle fed. So I was bottle fed. I'm not still bottle fed. Although if my mom (laughs) were to come here today and offer me a bottle, I would be like, yes, mom, that would be great. Uh, Current situation at the very end. I need boundaries. I feel feel like my mom probably moved to Florida primarily because of that. She's like, Kristen, no. (laughs) So great. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you know, but in that scenario, my mom fed me, you know, then my dad came along and and my dad is there and he's watching all of that. And he fed me. And then my grandma came in town and she was like, this is the prettiest baby I've ever seen. And, and she helped change my diaper. I'm sure she thought it was the prettiest baby. Just go with that. (laughs) She she died when I was 10, but I'm sure confidence. Right. She would absolutely back me up on this story. So when you think about, you know, how is it that those attachments are formed? They're formed because our needs are met. So my needs were met and then my circle began to grow. So grandma was able to hold me. I went to school eventually and my teacher was lovely and my mom left and I was okay. And my my mom came back and, and that teacher became a part of that bigger circle. The people around me were safe. I was secure. And so my attachments were able to grow. And that laid the foundation for other relationships, not all good ones. So when damaging relationship, somebody who wanted to harm me came into play, I was able to filter that through those past attachments. So I could Hmm. say something like, hmm, you know, this person wants to manipulate me. That doesn't feel right. I didn't learn that from my mom and dad. I learned 
X, Y, Z from my mom and dad. Something is wrong here. And so I should not be in this relationship. Maybe another good relationship comes along, a coach that's just encouraging and, and wonderful. And I filter that through those attachments that I have to my family. So the way that that works then is that those initial attachments begin to color the perspective of everything else that happens in my life all the way up into my adulthood, my own parenting, my own grandparenting. So when we've adopted or when we are fostering, we know that those attachments were broken. That's just the truth. So it doesn't matter if they were broken immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yes, they're broken. And so once we know and acknowledge that, then we can go about the process of creating something that is secure and healthy for our children. We can address that loss. We can't undo that loss. It mm-hmm. just is. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is create this environment. So then what does that look like? That may be the 12-year-old that enters your home. You can't go back and bottle feed. I'm, that's weird. Right. Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't write about that in this book. Um, (laughs) What can, I feel like it just got weird with the bottle feeding and that was a hundred percent my fault. I'm sorry. All right. So you're probably not going to swaddle them. You're probably not going to rock them. You're probably not going to bottle feed them. So what are you going to do? Right, right. You can do other things, and so, but you have to be intentional. So let's say that 12-year-old falls off their bike and comes in the house and they're bleeding and they don't have those attachments to you. So they're like, oh, I'm bleeding, you know, where are the Band-Aids? You can actually reach up in the medicine cabinet, get the Band-Aids, get the Bactine, and you can say, all right, I'll clean it for you. Is it okay if I touch it? Good. Wow, you're really brave. Here, let me get the Band-Aid and put that on for you. You're intentionally deciding to do things that build those attachments. So you're really kind of reverting back to that. You're nurturing. should have happened. Right. In the beginning. And so that's kind of like long story short, that's what our book is about. In all these different scenarios, what are some ways that I can build a sense of security around my child and, and rebuild those healthy attachments? Yeah. And knowing you and the way that you write, I'm, I know it's uber practical and we'll have those like, you know, 12 year old falls off the bike band-aid thing. But I think even more than the, here are all the ideas to do it. It's that shift that if, and when we buy into the, oh, my kids have these broken attachments Mm -hmm. and I can sort of go back as much as I can and build in all of this, like put cash in the bank for these nurturing moments to build that. I think even if there's no way you can address every situation in your book, but when we, as the parent make that connection and it clicks for us, then we now have a different lens and more than the, what do I do in this situation? It's now I have my glasses on of, oh, I need to be able to build attachment in every situation and I'm looking to meet needs and nurture mm-hmm. and rebuild that broken connection in every situation. The love that you use the glasses example, you know, because we both wear glasses. When I get up in the morning, I'll shuffle around the house and like, I literally, I can't see anything. Right, right. I don't know why I never put them on first, you know, but what's happening around here? I love that, you know, for me that visualization of putting the glasses on and getting clarity. Oh, I see what it is now. I can see clearly around me. And one of my favorite sections of this book in particular is the disobedience or something else. And it's this assumption that I think we have with children often. They're just so disobedient. He's just doing the wrong thing. She just Mm. wants to defy me. She's doing it on purpose. And we hear a lot of parents say that. We're even tempted to say that you did that on purpose. And if we can start to ask ourselves, is it disobedience or is it an executive processing disorder? Is it disobedience or is it fear? That really, it's like putting the glasses on. All of a sudden you see fear instead of, you know, damaged property. All of a sudden you see, she didn't understand my three directions and you shift what you do. Right. And actually we fought and fought and fought over the tagline on this book. And so I have it in front of me to make sure I got it right. (laughs) How understanding childhood trauma will transform your parenting. So we fought about this for like a month, like 200 different taglines because 
we want to be clear that we don't change our children. You mm-hmm. cannot change another human being ever. That isn't your mm-hmm. responsibility. That isn't your job. That's not what someone else wants to have you do to them. I don't want to be changed by another person either. Who can I change? Myself. And so sure. when I can see clearly what's happening in my home, I can shift what I do and create an environment that's safe. That's so good. I think of a conversation I had with my 12-year-old. So she's old enough to sort of understand some of this stuff. My biological daughter, very healthy attachments and childhood, all of that. And one Mm -hmm. of my kids is a all attention is good attention. type personality. Right. <laughs> so, so bad attention is attention. So it's good. And she had this moment where she was just literally going around and like literally poking people. We use that figuratively sometimes like actually poking people, stealing their things, running and throwing it in the trash, breaking someone's Legos. And my 12 year old was like, she's the worst. Why is she like this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, And I was like, you know what? This is a moment. I think we can put on the glasses here for her because she understands her sister's story and she can kind of take herself out of the situation for a moment. And I started to talk about attachment and I literally walked through the baby cries Mm -hmm. and you feed them and you hug them. And then they know that next time. And I, then I talked about when she was a baby and when she was a young child and I look over and my daughter, my 12 year old is sobbing. And she said, oh my goodness, it all makes sense now. Of course she wants us to pay attention to her. Of course she's willing to do mean, sad things so that we, and it just like clicked with her. And I was like, that is the moment that we need to have where the frustration and anger and why are you like this and be different shifts to compassion Mm -hmm. and oh, this is who your whole story shows me that this is what's going on in this moment, that it's not just destruction, it's fear, it's sadness, it's a need being met that you don't even know needs to be met. And when we can have that shift into compassion, I just think it changes everything. And I think too, I love that you talked about that with your 12-year-old because I think that often adoptive families and foster families, and maybe all families, feel like the parent must have the answer Mm -hmm. and that that's some secret magical answer, some secret magical perfect way of doing things and everything's going to work out. Right. And we think we need to not tell our child about that. I'm just going to perfect parenting from over here and then I'll just get everything right. And when we can open up those conversations to our children, they can begin to see that in themselves. So, wow, I'm sorry I just yelled at everybody. I got scared. I'm sorry that, you know, I stormed into my room and slammed the door. I was so frustrated and disappointed. So when we can begin to pass on that understanding to our children, we're really equipping them to become the parents, the adults, one day themselves to really take ownership over themselves. And so you weren't just parenting your younger child in this perfect way so that everything worked out great. And then your 12-year-old felt great and your younger child felt great. All of that doesn't fall on you. It's about both of your daughters understanding themselves, understanding how their body reacts to things, understanding what memories this is pulling up so that they can take ownership over their bodies and their reactions to things as well. Hmm. Well, I can't wait to read your book, Securely Attached. This is a topic that I'm so passionate about and you guys are the people that I love to learn from more than anyone. So, all right, I want to shift gears. I want to talk about you a little bit. I want to know what you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So what are you doing? What's your thing in COVID quarantine and as we ease out of it, what's your thing right now? I'm an extrovert, I think. I always thought I was an introvert because I'm shy, but it turns out that I really like people. And mm-hmm. this has and you been learned extremely, that this summer. <laughs> extremely hard. I'm like yeah. laying in my yard, like I have no friends and nobody likes me anymore. It's been terrible. <laughs> so I think people still like me. I just haven't seen them in six months. I'm not really sure. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> what am I doing? I'm actually learning to love my home and learning to love being here. Mm. And I, that surprised me because I am a go, 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 meet people, do things, sure, the library, too. travel downtown. And I am just loving my home. It has become... I'm kind of a kid at heart. So I'm always thinking of ways to do things that we, you know, that the kids can play with, but really it means me. So like a slack <laughs> line, a trampoline, a tree swing. And I just had two hay bales, two round bales delivered to my backyard, not for my animals, but so that the kids could play nice. on the round bales and jump into the hay. So that's what I'm doing. I'm making my home super fun. So great. I feel like you're so good at that, especially, you know, we both have kids in our homes with neurological differences and ADHD and all that, and just making it like this fun place where everyone's getting out all their energy all day long. Yes. I can tell that that's the right. vibe you create in your home. Right. Thank you. All right. What are you eating? You know what? The answer is always going to be chips. I think it's probably <laughs> been chips the last two times I was on your show. I just love chips. I'm going to like go back and fact um, check and see what so, you said every time. Yeah. I bet it was either chips or donuts. Those That's are great. like my two favorite things. All right. What are you reading? I know you're a big reader as am I. What are you yeah. your head in right now? So I'm reading a bunch of things, but the one that I just enjoyed was just a novel and it's called The Ghosts Are Family by Maisie Card. And it's just really good. Like I just finished it last night and it is a complex novel from tons of different perspectives and tons of different time periods. And so it's one of those books that you finish and you're like, oh, I'm going to go back and read that again like now that I just read book. it. So I, yes. Where you're just like, wait, wait, wait. The person yeah, yeah, from yeah. 2020 was related to this person from 1680. Yeah. I don't know. It was just she did a lovely job. So cool. The Ghosts Are Family by Maisie Card. Fun. All right. What are you watching? I'm watching Queer Eye. Okay. Are you a big reality just, TV person? No, not oh. at all. But I just think that every episode of that show, I'm crying because they just do these kind things for people, you know, I don't know. Help and you're like, I just need some, shallow, some positivity like, in my yeah, it's just viewing. lovely. <laughs> right. Yes. Every person that they feature is just a lovely person. And anyway, so I've just been watching that and crying. <laughs> so, All right. What are you listening to? I have been listening to the Evolving Faith podcast. I love it. Highly recommend it. It's been great. And who's that? Evolving Faith is Sarah Bessie and it used to be Rachel Held Evans and okay. Jeff Chu. It's wonderful. All right, Kristen, we have gone over the time limit. I'm not surprised that we have because you and I could talk forever. We talked beforehand. We're talk, I'm sure once we hang up, <laughs> Right. but I'm just so grateful that you just shared your heart and things that have been going on in your life, in your heart. I learn every time I talk to you, I know that everyone else is going to learn from you too. And I'm so excited to read your book and I hope everyone else goes and gets securely attached as well. So thank you for spending time with me. Thanks for being on for the third time and continuing to hold the Real Mom Podcast world record of <laughs> guest appearances. Right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Real Mom Podcast. You can find us in all the places realmompodcast.com for our landing page where we'll connect you to the guests and all the links and info from this episode on facebook search real mom podcast and on instagram at real mom podcast thanks for listening this praise is to my king you are the light.